Yurt season. Omer Yurtsevin, the newest jazz man, joining Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com for his first conversation. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. That's right, the big yurt on the podcast, talking to him about his role, how he sees it, his interactions with Will Hardy, we agree on one thing about Will, and his career so far, how he got to this point, playing in professional basketball at age 15 in Fenerbahce, out in Turkey, and then making the decision to go to college basketball, where he played at Georgetown and NC State. You're going to like that conversation, but ultimately this is a low-risk signing. It's two years, $2.8 million in the first season. Second year is going to be partially guaranteed. The guarantee, according to Michael Scotto, the number, according to Bobby Marks, it's low risk. This is what B-Ball Paul was going to provide when they went out and gave him an offer sheet in restricted free agency, which ultimately Philadelphia had to respond to and match. And it gives the Jazz a little bit more steel. Omer's huge. He's seven feet tall. He has the ability to pass, similar to Kelly Olenek, but with less of the keeper status. He extended his range last offseason, and last year for him was a complete wash. Zero, nothing, he got injured, only played nine games, and because of injury, he was supplanted. Cody Zeller, who can play, who was on the Jazz last season, shout out Cody Zeller, he was getting minutes in the NBA Finals. He took over the spot. Orlando Robinson, they believe in it, and they have an opportunity for it. But Omer Yurtsevin, his rookie season after a 2021 summer league that I remember I was at, he was buzz, he was extra, and he was really good his rookie season. He had a stretch there where he was 10 games of 13 and 13. He has to improve defensively. And lateral, quickness, defending in space, it's what a big needs to do in today's game. And that needs to be an area of improvement. But as far as having a good stretch of games, having moments where he could get it done... He had that, and now a new scenery, a new spot, he'll get a chance as a low-risk signing. I talked about a specific game with him. It was one against the Phoenix Suns, where he had 7 points, 8 assists, 16 rebounds. According to Round Ball Roundup guest Jeremy Taché, over with the Heat Digital, Taché tweeted this, Omer Yurtsevin is the 16th center in NBA history to record at least 7 points, 16 rebounds, eight assists, and two steals in a game. The only centers to do it more than once are Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Sam Lacey, Kim Olajuwon, David Robinson, and Vladi Divac. If he does it again, he has the same ceiling as Hakeem Olajuwon, one of the criminally underrated players in NBA history. Two championships, went to a finals in the previous decade, is probably the best defensive center of all time. That's the ceiling for Omer Yurtsevin. If we have writers talking about how Keontae George's ceiling is Donovan Mitchell, I think you could say the same thing about Akeem Olajuwon and Omer Yurtsevin. No. Both sentences are absolutely ridiculous. They need to have their opportunity on the floor. Can we just wait for them to play? 
games for the Jazz before overhyping them. I'm all for buying hype. Let's keep it reasonable. But truly, I mean, the Suns game is evidence that he can pass. He can operate in an offense that has movement. And he reads the game well. I love that he has the ability to fit in different areas and give you similar things to Kelly Olenek. But ultimately, it, like his spot's going to be giving relief for Walker, who is now heading into a second year. He's going to be with USA Basketball in the World Cup. He's going to have put on a lot of minutes in the offseason if this World Cup goes well for USA. So you're going to have to rely on Omer Yurtsevin as the other guy. Because ultimately, the bigs on this team are Kelly Olynyk, Taylor Hendricks, John Collins. That's who's going to have to figure out where you're going to juggle those minutes, and that's going to be Will Hardy's deal. He got the most out of last season's team. Even Damian Jones had his moment in the sun. So we'll see how he does in a new place. Change of scenery can be good for some players. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. It's yurt season. You're going to enjoy him for how zen he is and how calm and soothing his voice is. And if you want to watch the YouTube version, check it out on Utah Jazz's YouTube channel. Here he is, Omer Yurtsevin on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. You have a really big following online. Yurt season is a thing that Heat fans would tweet about all the time. Turk Nowitzki was something that I saw online. Like, do you know that you have a, a big following of people who are rooting for your success? Um, yeah, and I, I would call it more like a strong following because all the people that are, you know, supporting me support me heavily and then strongly. So, you know, I, I appreciate all of them and, and i and i feel their support what is this opportunity that you're getting with the jazz after a season where you were dealing with ankle injury and now you have a new slate you have a new opportunity with this team i'm more than excited um i don't think there is like any kind of word i can describe it but like to be able to get to work and start off uh, um i guess fresh is going to be amazing and you know, being able to learn everything from Coach Hardy and Amitio, uh, the, the entire crew, um, spend some time with them. And like you said, have a big opportunity uh, after not being able to play that much last year. I'm, I'm beyond excited, yeah. What's been the road back? How has rehab been going? How is your ankle feeling? The ankle feels really good. I mean, I haven't had any issues with it uh, since coming back. I've been, I was 100%, I mean, since All-Star break, this this year so been going at it pretty strong how difficult was it to watch on the bench as you were injured and you weren't able to play because 
your rookie season, you had so many games. You had a 10-game stretch where you were averaging 13 and 14 rebounds. Like You were playing really good ball, and then things don't go the way that you planned them the second year. Yeah, I mean, even the rest of that year, like I, I was still ready to play, still wanted to play. You know, everything was still, I guess, alive for me and in me, and being able to just you know take that and kind of bottle that up and use it towards training was hard. But it's also what I had to do and understand in this professional business, and all of it in terms of the injury, et cetera. All of it, I think, made me hone different skills. Whether it be outside of the court, clearing out distractions, or you know, whether it be my diet, my you know, intensity jumped after I got injured. Whether before I was training maybe once or twice a day, um, it'd most likely be twice unless we're having like a light day. But that then I bumped it up to three because um, it was more about recovery. So I would do three things like morning, noon, and night, just you know, trying to recover and like stay on top of it as much as possible. Do you have to? put limits on yourself for how hard that you work when you're injured because you can't go as hard as you are when you're healthy, but you still want to get back and you still have that desire to, to be on the floor. Yeah. And, um, you know, guys there kind of helped me out with that. Um, Oladipo was, uh, my, let's say locker room neighbor. He was on my, on my left in the locker room. And we always chatted about how to roll back was a lot tougher than I previously imagined because you would just think, hey, I can do like a lot of rehab and like speed this process up, but there's an extent that you can go to where it becomes detrimental after that and being able to realize that and kind of deal with it in a more productive way or proactive way um, was very important, especially, you know, in terms of the recovery tools, more and more I found out, um, the more I tried to implement, but you know, initially it was just like, hey, more exercises, get it stronger and get it better. But then I realized that, you know, like if you don't let it recover, then all this extra work you're doing is just like kind of not as helpful as potentially could be. It sounds like patience is something that you have to learn when you're going through that process. Yeah. Patience and, and I think just discipline and that patience, I think, and discipline combination is like the only factor that can keep you in rails mentally throughout that time too. Whether it be, you know, like I say, like being proactive is like the only way that you can stay on that on that path of of recovery. So let's go back because I want I want jazz fans, people watching the podcast, listening to the podcast, to learn more about you. You were playing against professionals since you were fifteen, mm-hmm. and. Uh, at a pretty high level in Turkey with one of the best clubs in the entire world. How did you land into this sport? Where did basketball start for you? It started at Fenerbahce, which was, it, it, it still is uh, one of the best clubs in the world. Um, and it, it was when I was 12 that I truly kind of dialed in. I started with their junior team when I was 11, but 12, 13, 14, you know, everything was uh, a lot more intense than I had imagined. And that 15 was the first time I got called up to the senior team. And I had, you know, other friends with me, but who were like a year or two older. And the more I worked, the more I earned and, you know, kind of got used to playing with older guys and guys who were 28-year-olds, you know, guys a year or two older, a few of them. A lot of them were at least 
26, 27, 28 at that prize because, you know, you're playing for one of the best clubs in, in the world and in Europe. And, um, and I think that added a lot in terms of experience, but initially it was a huge excitement. It was just like a huge shift. Um, and I just absorbed all of it, uh, whether it was, you know, NBA global games, EuroLeague or Turkish league, which were all, you know, obviously very competitive, but Turkish league is, it's kind of under the radar, but it's probably the best, best league in, in Europe after your league, obviously. Yes, yes. I, I'm a fan of, of soccer teams and like okay. Galatasaray, um, Fenerbahce, they're, yeah. they're always in, in Champions League and then they have basketball sides to them. It's kind of like yeah. Real Madrid, Barcelona, they have they have their basketball sides. Right. And the Turkish League is always coming up with these teams that are really, really good. Like this is a high level of competition that you were going, on, going against as a teenager. How do you fit into a locker room when you're sitting next to someone who's been playing for 10 years or something i mean the only thing that i kind of focused on was follow the coach listen to your teammates and just be a sponge and and i've kept that attitude um and try to build on it um in terms of you know overall improvement the more i learned the more i kind of earned their respect too Mm -hmm. and i kind of fed into our our friendship on and, and then kind of off the court too and yeah, I mean, like the like you said, there's soccer teams, and they're a lot more competitive uh, in terms of the the rivalry that they have. And Galatasaray is a big rival of Fenerbahce. It's like the number one rival, and it's always been that way. And you know, be able to be a part of that was very intense too. But it was a, a lot of fun. And like here, here you have, let's say the you know, Lakers Boston rivalry, mm-hmm. like stuff like that. We, we have that. Um, kind of intensity and a lot of the fans kind of trink, like trinkle over from, from soccer as well so it becomes a lot more feisty um, and yeah just you know a, a lot of intense moments and a lot of learning there well I've seen those crowds too they're crazy they are into it you have flares going off in basketball games what were some of the crazy atmospheres that you played in? Uh, I would say Serbia it, we had Red Star, Red Star was yep. very crazy. Partizan was very crazy. Panathinaikos was crazy. I mean, obviously, Galatasaray was the craziest one because we were Fenner. Remember, like people just like unscrewing like the the from the like getting screws from their chairs, and and uh, one of them landed out at, in one of my hoodies. I was just like, oh shoot! Like if if that if that hit my head, I don't know. Right. But you know, it's just like how how intensely these. Uh, fans kind of approach the game and how serious they take it. So college basketball, those crowds were much more civil comparatively. Yeah. I mean, there was still a rivalry when I was first came to SANC State. There was a big rivalry there between North Carolina and them. And then... Georgetown, you had Duke Syracuse. Well. Georgetown had Syracuse. Like, those were all good rivalries, but in terms of the intensity, because in college you get a lot of, like, you know, college kids and, and alumni who are, like, respectful and, like, supportive of their of their program but on the other side you get like people who deem it almost as if like they're it's their life supporting this team is, is their cause and uh when people take it that seriously it makes it a lot more fun a lot more competitive mm-hmm. and that competitive side is isn't the most fun of it all what led to the decision to go to college basketball starting at nc state it was education mm-hmm. um wanted to get my degree initially it was computer science but then i realized that you know, that was not a feasible idea. Probably not around basketball schedule. Right, right. Still finished with like 
3.4 GPA first year. Um, but then realized, like I said, like it, it takes a lot of effort. Like I would spend so much, so much time on projects. So like kind of moved away from that and wanted to focus more on basketball and, and something that I could do with basketball at the same time. And maybe something that would benefit both sides where, can, where both sides can benefit each other. And I think through basketball, well, I studied psychology and graduated from psychology, uh, and Georgetown, so I learned a lot of psychology through basketball and a lot of basketball ideas and, and relationships, everything, um, because psychology can kind of like trinkle into, trinkle into all of those areas, um, of life and basketball. I imagine that helps because it's only basketball or, or sport seemingly that would put you in the same room with a Jordan Clarkson, who's going to be your teammate or a Colin Sexton. Maybe you don't meet those people unless it's basketball. And that kind of is the power of, of sport to bring those two people together. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all those guys are extremely talented and, and you know, hard workers, competitors, uh, and being able to understand that edge and, you know, be there with them and, and compete with them at a high level is going to, you know, take building those kind of relationships. And I think, you know, psychology can, again, play a role in that. Do you try to psychoanalyze your teammates? Not at all. Yeah. But I think the things that you learn subconsciously, of course, like, I'm sure they play a part. Now, let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Twenty twenty one, your summer league was a blowout, averaging twenty points per game during that route. You got rookies out there uh, who were working on the floor who played in summer league. Mm-hmm. What kind of opportunity did you see that for yourself? And advice would you give to players who just enjoyed their first summer league? Um, I mean, now that it's passed, it's it's kind of hard to say, hey, you should do this, you should do that. But I think the biggest thing that I did during my time in summer league was have that great sense of urgency and that alertness because that small period of time can change so many things that there's no such thing as over-preparation. There's no such thing as being over-alert. Just keeping that in mind and then, you know, moving with that attitude. What was your experience for your summer? Like, how'd you get in that zone where you were scoring so much, where you were showing and expressing yourself on the basketball floor? I think it was the freedom and the aggression that I have kind of built up um, through my preparation. You can't just go on the court and be 100% aggressive. You have to dial those habits in because then those, that aggression can turn into fouls, and that's why you have to like have that aggression and have that control. If you don't have that balance, obviously, like it's going to... Um, not go great for you, but that's when your work and everything that you've built upon kind of 
comes into play. And then it translates to that rookie season. I watched some highlights of your game against the Suns mm-hmm. where not only were you scoring and controlling the boards, your passing really stood out as far as something that you add to your game. Being able to work off of dribble handoffs and play make as a, a big guy, that's something that really stood out when I watched that highlight film. Yeah, no, I mean, I had a lot of fun that game, dissecting the defense. Um, and that came from obviously being able to read the game and, and some talents, but also like the reps that I've kind of built up um, through, it was that summer, it was that year, just playing nonstop. And and I think after a certain point, to get, like the game literally slows down in front of your eyes. Uh, it took me about 15 10 games uh, for me to get to like that point where everything kind of slowed down for me. And once that happened, um, I was able to see if a defense kind of jumped over the top because it was, a, let's say it was a shooter. They wouldn't want to let him go over the screen. Right. They wouldn't want to let him come off a DHO. And that's why they would jump to the top side. And that's when you would have a, like a slight eye contact as soon as he shifts because the, and the cut is wide open to the rim. There would always be action on the on the weak side too to keep the the weak side defenders off the paint. So there was a lot going on in that game. But I remember that you know the high post in terms of like the both elbows and and mid post around the blocks were areas that I kind of fed a lot of the guys. Uh, whether it be handoffs, because if if they're letting you come off a handoff, I'm gonna set a good pick and you're gonna get a shot. And if you do get a shot, then the big has to step up and kind of everything, like whatever they did was wrong at the end of the day. And with Miami, guys are moving. There's movement on the offense, right? It's not stagnant. It's not isolation basketball. You, It's beautiful to see mm-hmm. when other players are cutting off of your action and reacting to the way that you're seeing the game as well. That, that has to help. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we have great guys right now on the team. Um, and I think those guys will also make those overreactions and have players have those kind of mistakes which will allow the game to really open up from your vantage point watching and i swear we'll get to the jazz here in a second but i want to understand how the heat got to the finals Mm -hmm. moments away from being eliminated by chicago makes it to the finals there isn't one size fits all answer to that question but from your view what changed over that course of time to see that team go to the finals? I mean, initially it was that, you know, the season is not over and it won't be. And I think, I, I, like, there was there was that energy in the locker room that no matter what, like, it's it's not going to be over. Um, then once we had that kind of attitude, obviously, like, the possibility is always there, but I didn't see any of the guys, you know, kind of buy into that at all. And I think that belief played into the overall attitude towards how we approached the game with that with that like I said confidence and aggression and and I think that kind of took over um and once we clicked in that area I think it was just close to unstoppable it was it it see it seemingly looked that way uh, in the Eastern Conference and with so many teams you guys ran through not only Milwaukee Boston these are really good teams in the East, and and they were some of the best teams that played the entire year. Right. Looking at 
the difference between regular season playoff intensity. What have you seen from your vantage point is the difference? Because not only you had that finals run, you had an Eastern Conference finals run the, the year before. Like mm-hmm. You've seen playoff basketball. What is the difference between those two things? In the comparing playoffs to regular season? Yeah. It's night and day. I mean, you can't really compare it because one is obviously like people take you seriously, but on the other line, like if you lose, you're going home. So the other team, as far as I've seen in the playoffs, other teams can have one or two ways of an attitude. One, they're ready for vacation. The other one, they want to compete and, you know, uh, leave it all out there and, and battle it out. And being able to, you know, get in that zone um, only happens through the habits that you've built in the in the regular season. And being, being able to realize that kind of gives you that attitude through the regular season for you to prepare yourself. And, you know, if you play as much as you can, obviously nobody's going to compete as hard as they do in the playoffs. But if you compete as hard as you can during the regular season, then you're kind of setting yourself up for when the crunch time comes and and then you need to go. It almost seems like two different sports, regular season playoffs. There's this great thing that Dreamon says, he said it before that there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players. Like 16 game players, you, they stay on the floor in the playoffs. They, mm-hmm. You can count on them. 82 game players, you know, regular season, they'll be fine. But when it comes to those 16 games, there's there's a difference between the jump in what you need to do to get those wins and win that title. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the competitive side that you know every basketball player has to have. And it's hard to get to this level. But it's also hard to stay at this level, maybe even harder. And that do that competitive edge is the only thing that can keep you here. And above, it has to be above a certain threshold for you to be able to, like I said, have that discipline and build these habits and move it all along and condense it in that playoff stretch. What excites you about year three for yourself and this opportunity with the Jazz? Um, that it's that it's a fresh start. I think more than anything, it's like it's whatever um, whatever you make it kind of thing. And then the only thing that I'll, I'll focus on is, is obviously listening and, and staying malleable, but also, you know, being aggressive. And I think those things like energy and effort, those kind of things, I think, can solve a lot of the problems. And being able to focus on that is going to be a priority. How much interaction have you had with Will Hardy... Justin Zanuck, anybody of the front office so far? Uh, I talked with Will, Coach Will Hardy, um, yesterday, face to face for the first time. Nice. Um, then it was great. You know, he literally greeted me with open arms, and um, he is a lot taller than I had thought. I had the same reaction the other day. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's a lot taller, but you know, um, obviously I'm a big mess. I'm I'm used to people like being a lot. Shorter than and I'm a short man, so I expect everybody to be bigger, but he was even bigger than I anticipated. Right. But um, in terms of Coach Hardy, like I've, I've seen him um, coach a lot of times during the season, and, and I like how he communicates with, with all of his players. And, and being able to see that from a coach is huge because that's what you want. You want you know, feedback that you can feed on so that you can grow and and. I think he he does a great job of of doing that, being and staying in communication. And he's made at least from my vantage point when I would come in and we would talk to players, 
Like it would be fun. They they would seem like they every day was fun and fun being very underrated in part of this league. It can get monotonous. You're doing 82 games, but he created an environment that at least was fun for players to, to go out and practice every day. And that has to help you doing your job. Absolutely. And I think his, well, from the outside, it, it felt like he has a different perception and perspective of everything. Uh, but I think that can help a lot when it comes to, you know, certain times where you need a different angle and, and him having that and staying you know, optimistic, positive through it. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was great to see, at least over the TV and hopefully um, live in person too. Well, you're going to be in person with this team. It's going to be your season for jazz fans. Thank you so much. Omer Yurtsevin on utahjazz.com.